Hey, this is Robin checking in again for Secure Mindset. Today we're talking about a topic that every protection professional should know about or at least have a basic understanding of its workings. Why? Because you never know when Murphy is knocking at your door, ready to rain havoc. Today we're talking about how to control Murphy just a little bit better so we can control the chaos by, caused by him just a little bit faster and more efficient and to get him in control and order. The topic for today is crisis management and an introduction to ICS. Today I'm joined by Patrick Ryan, the director of Vulcan Training. Vulcan Training is a training company from South Africa. They offer online training, group training for location, location near you. They specialize in ICS and wildfire courses while offering training and consultation. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robin. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. So I do want to, like we mentioned in the pre-talk, I do want to get into ICS today and how it is for crisis management and currently dealing also with the situations at hand and also what ICS is to get a basic understanding and why we should use it in our everyday lives as protection professionals and also organizations that not originally associate with ICS. Um, so can you talk a bit about your background to start off with? Yes, it's uh, it's quite a <clears throat> it's quite a different background for somebody to be in the um, response for emergency response uh, industry. Uh, I started off in the advertising industry as a photographer and a designer, and um, I found an interest in wildfire through uh, wanting to do a wildfire project, which led me to join a volunteer unit. And that volunteer unit, while I was in that, I saw that there was a need for a a more specialized type of ground crew in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my, myself and a friend of mine who was also in the unit uh, decided to form a company. We pitched the project to the Western Cape government of South Africa. And after about a year and a half uh, pitch, pro uh, pitch process, we, we got the go ahead to go to create this, this crew, handpicked um, some specialist guys, and we launched the first specialist uh, wildfire ground crew in South Africa in 2015. Um, this proved very successful. Uh, unfortunately, it was only a year-long process, and that's very much just down to how government processes work out here. But that led us on to then focus, and we realized there was a massive um, gap in training. Uh, so we shifted our focus into training and into awareness. One of my passions is trying to get um, homeowners, and obviously wildfire is our sort of key area of uh, expertise, is to get homeowners to understand the risk that they face and, what, and that they can actually do a lot to be a lot safer. And uh, it's something that's obviously increasing in Europe uh, at the moment, the wildfire risk, and, and especially for further north in uh, Norway and Sweden, the forests of Germany. But out here, it's very real. And the fires we've seen over the last 10 years are getting more extreme, more quickly, and we're getting more and more damage occurring. So we're trying to get, um, but getting people to change their behavior is a very difficult thing. Um, mm -hmm. Watching the observations of how people have done behavioral change with COVID has been quite interesting in that process as well. You uh, mentioned that uh, it's your passion to get homers aware about wildfire risks. Um, can you go in depth a little bit about that more? Um, yes, I think there's a, there's a complete misunderstanding of, of what the risk is to homeowners who live within a, an environment that can be impacted by wildfire. Um, a lot of the people imagine that it's the homes right on the edge who, have the, who are close to the vegetation who are at risk. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that the, the main reason or the main loss of most homes is from the embers that are released from wildfires that travel through the air and land on your roof space or in your garden around your home. 
And if there's dry vegetation, bushes, whatever, we call them fire corridors in your garden, that can lead fire to your house. Or if it gets into the roof, into the roof space, through the gutters, through the eaves, um, air vents, that kind of thing, then of course your house is compromised and the house can be lost. We actually worked on the, um, the report on the Nisner fires of 2017 for the Western Cape government. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that it was quite, we picked up, it's, it's quite obvious that people just had no clue how fire actually spread through, or wildfire spread through not only a landscape, but into the urban environment as well. So we, we're constantly trying to um, educate and make people aware and understand that there's stuff they can do as a homeowner. Um, you can speak to a specialist and get advice. It's one of the things we do, mm-hmm. but there's basics you can do as a homeowner to make your property safe. And one of the terrible things we found when we did the report in, on the Nisner fires was that even days after the fire had passed through the area, there was obviously a lot of still hot spots and areas still burning. The winds would come through, they'd pick up embers, and they were still losing homes, you know, two, three days after the main fire event had passed through. And this was because one is everyone had been evacuated. Mm-hmm. No one was there and there weren't enough emergency services to deal with every home. So homes were still burning down, which could have been saved if people were had done the right things around their home and if they could go back and protect the home. So it's a very, very difficult area. I mean, you talk about evacuations. Uh, should you, shouldn't evacuate? If you do evacuate, how soon can you let people back? Mm-hmm. But if people are, if the homes and the community is safer, it's a lot it's a lot of easier decision to make to allow people back in to keep their home safe after the wildfires pass through. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, sure. How do you use spread awareness? Do you use ICS for that? Do you direct it to the, to the homeowners themselves or? We, we've, uh, we've tried to bring um, ICS through to, to the homeowner associations out here. Um, they haven't really bought into it yet, which is again, it's part of the, the whole drive uh, to get mm-hmm. people to understand. If they understand the system, the emergency services are going to work with, it makes everyone's life a lot easier. But no, we, we do community talks um, uh, when they're possible. We also do uh, sort of wildfire checks on homes and we, we advise homeowners to report what to do. And mm-hmm. then we're constantly trying to put out through our media channels diff- um, awareness around the risk to, to homes from wildfire. All right. So you're uh, to uh, mention uh, to start looking at the ICS profile. You're doing the public uh, management, uh, so the public liaison role in that. Um, oh, with the public information officer. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we feel actually feel it's a vitally, vitally important part of the ICS or the incident management team. Um, it's one of the ones that I think is overlooked uh, or can be overlooked, and. I think the co- for me, watching the COVID crisis, sitting at home, like, like all of us, I think having mm. a stream of communications coming through on WhatsApp and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, all the channels, it's an overload. And you, you, it's quite hard to sometimes figure out what's fake and what's fact. Mm. Um, and the role of the public information officer is, uh, and I know a few who are dealing with this crisis, it's overwhelming. And, but their role is crucial. In an incident management team, they're the filter between the, the, what's going on out there and the, and the incident commander. Um, and they can uh, they can get get on top of uh, fake news very quickly. So it's it's a very hands-on role. It's a very important role, and um, it's only I think out here in South Africa only starting to be used and understood properly um, now. Mm-hmm. I, I love that it, that it's clearly visible. I think from what you're doing and starting up from basically zero. Um, can you talk a bit about that process of how you're 
implementing ICS and from the start to where you are right now? Sure, we, we decided to focus on ICS in 2016 or pushing ICS training, although both my business partner and myself have been trained in ICS way before that. Um, mm -hmm. We realized that while we were responding to incidents, they, they weren't necessarily being run underneath the ICS system uh, completely or correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot, of the, a lot of the guys on the ground didn't fully understand the system. They, they kind of would, as soon as they got to an incident, they would just revert back to the same old, you know, the same routine they always did, the same systems. And there was a lot of kickback against ICS. People saying, oh, you know, why we don't need another system. We've got our system. It's been working for the last 20, 30 years. You know, don't tell mm -hmm. me how to do my job. So it was quite a difficult thing to do. And what we realized is that by making the system more local in context, the term just the words that you use, the way it's put across, um, mm -hmm. you know, the system's an American system and the Americans have a particular way of, of teaching and training and it doesn't always uh, translate into a, a, you know, another country's um, ways of doing things. So we, we started adapting our courses and all our courses, you know, into the, to that and then including local um, imagery as much as possible. So people started to recognize people that they knew or they realized this was an area that they'd been working in and it made it more relevant. And we started to see there was more buy-in. People started to buy into the system more. And on our, um, on our courses, it's especially the longer courses, it's when you get into the ICS 300, 400, the division uh, and group supervisor, public information officer, operations chief, those ones where you've got three to five days and you're running the course. It's incredible to watch and it's actually very rewarding. On day one, we get a group of people who invariably are busy, they're under pressure, they don't want to be taking five days out of their job, they have to, um, and there's real resistance to ICS in the beginning of that. And mm -hmm. what we're doing out in South Africa is, unfortunately with our higher level ICS courses, we still have to include the basic and or the introduction and the basic, because we're getting people coming onto our courses who have never done any ICS before, but they need to then mm -hmm. do a public information officer course or a division supervisor course. So we crash course, uh, crash course them through the basics of ICS and then take them through their, their specific role. And by the end of that, we see a complete turnaround. Um, suddenly they, they're getting the system because we're very practical in how we do our training. You know, as mm -hmm. much as possible, we really try and get people to run through briefings and uh, doing IAPs and uh, understanding how to work within the system. And by the end of the training, there's a total turnaround. It's almost, I'd say, sort of 90% everyone has got sort of decided, realized that this system works. It's actually not that difficult. It's not that complex. Mm -hmm. And we try and make it a, um, we try and make it very easy for people to get into the system. And I think that's one of the things when I went back to when I did my, my 100, mm -hmm. which was quite a few, <laughs> quite a few years ago. And I remember sitting down and you get hit with this massive organogram of positions and you hear all these terms and you, it's just overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But actually when you break it down to, all you need is you need an incident commander. That's it. Mm. To run ICS, you need one person. And as it evolves, as the incident escalates, things get more complicated. You just put in place like a puzzle or like a sort of jigsaw, you put in place what you need. And I think when you actually start doing that physically, you realize how brilliant the system is and how it works. In fact, our, the guy, one of the, the guys who trained me is from, uh, United, from Forest Service in America. Mm. And he's, He's very famously uh, quoted as saying, ICS stands for its common sense. And that's his you know, thing. And it really is like that. I, th I do think that indeed, because we were mentioning uh, like the way I met you was uh, over Instagram. 
And yeah. uh, like I noticed that uh, there was this post coming up with ICS and I immediately piqued my interest on that. And like, I want to know more on that. And I yeah. do think that we need this, like I mentioned in our, in our posts, on, in our comments, that we need to publish and get more attention to ICS. Um, so my question is, because I know a lot of my audience isn't aware of what ICS is in its basics in the first place. Um, can you elaborate what the use of ICS is and um, why everybody should use ICS in its basics? Sure. <laughs> we have a limited time. This is difficult. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's just management by objectives. But what I think is so good about ICS is that it's as, as, as much as possible. And we, we like to try and break away from using any kind of um, sort of slang terminology, but mm -hmm. it, it's about using a common language, your normal language, clear communication. And having so you have a clear channel of communication, you have a clear line of command, and you have clear objectives. Um, and you know, so it's you have that feedback loop of information coming down the line and going back up the line, and that informs the commanders or the incident management team's ability to keep uh, changing the changing uh, the the way that you are responding or the objectives. What I really liked about ICS when I first got into it was one the fact that you have it's a clear chain of command. There's very clear objectives. It's written down. It's you get a, a briefing at the beginning of each operational period. You understand exactly mm -hmm. what you're meant to be doing. Um, and and um, I, I just think that this really appealed to me. And the fact is that the, the key the key thing that brought ICS into um, sort of uh, fruition was safety. It, it, it revolves around safety. It's responder safety, public safety. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I think is really important that quite often as a responder, it's, you kind of, you can forget that um, you get caught up in the emotion. There's adrenaline and rushes. There's all sorts of things going on, but key in this, and it's something that was highlighted to me in the beginning. And it's something uh, we, we bring through in all our training is safety first um, in your incident management team. You have a safety officer. Mm -hmm. uh, again, personally, I don't feel this is a um, put into position enough in South Africa. I think we need to have a safety officer. As soon as you start forming an incident management team, dedicated safety officer whose only role is safety they, mm. they're not they're not got they don't have two hats they're not trying to do another role as well and i think that's also very important when you're in your position in that uh system that's the function you fulfill you don't try and do other functions um it makes it very clear what your role is and and I like that with a clear chain of command people know exactly who to respond to i think that's again another thing that for me is great is that you respond up the line and people send um, sort of instructions down the line. So you're only responding to one supervisor. It doesn't matter where you are in that management team, unless you're the incident commander, um, you are responding to one supervisor. So that makes it very easy. You can be part, you, as a division supervisor, you might have five resources or five different sort of leaders under you with people under them but those five are only reporting to you. Each of those five have teams and their leaders are only reporting to them. So it makes it a lot more simple, simpler. Um, and by, again, using something, um, what's the term again, um, span of control, uh, which I'm sure you've, you've heard of, it's yeah. again, it's another thing around safety. As humans, we, we can't process more than having about three to seven people and seven is the absolute max. 
-hmm. We can't have this many people feed information to us and process it properly. I mean, you can try it in a, you go out and in a scenario and try it and have, have three radios going and try and keep sort of on top of the comms of what's going on. When you add in two more people coming in and speaking to you as well as three, three radio channels or three radios going, it becomes very difficult. Um, and ICS gives you the ability to then delegate out. So you're still retaining your position, but you then delegate out more leadership underneath you. And that leadership then has got, uh, it's, there's less information feeding back to you. So um, I think it's, it's just, it's a, it's a system that can be built up as much as possible and broken down uh, mm -hmm. as you need it. Um, but the core of it is that it's very simple. It's the, the main thing is you take command. One mm -hmm. person takes command. From there it builds. Um, your response builds up from that. It could be a car crash. You stop. You've got some skills and experience and leadership. You stop. You take control of everything. You start delegating out. As other response vehicles arrive, you then uh, give somebody a position to deal with the logistics of the situation. Someone else is dealing with um, the, the planning side of stuff and someone's in operations and you maintain that oversight. And suddenly there is ICS at work. And as more responders arrive with more roles are needed, the crash is bigger than you thought. Um, those roles get delegated out. But at the core of it, there's one person in charge managing that incident. So, and it's got very clear objectives. Again, everything comes down to clarity um, and understanding. Um, so the incident action plan, uh, everything revolves around clarity and understanding. And I like that. Wow. That, thank you for that answer. I, I absolutely love that. Um, Pleasure. Can, uh, can you, cause I know you are not only doing trainings, but you're also on a job. Like I've seen profile picture that you're in a firefighting gear. Can you, yes. Uh, give some explanation on a uh, a situation that you were in where you needed to implement ICS when you were on scene. Sure. Um, what's uh, interesting is that it doesn't just you you don't just have to use it for an emergency incident. Um, the volunteer unit I'm with actually uses it to run all their events, uh, okay. trail runs, big open open event days with thousands of people coming in. They run the whole thing through ICS and it runs very very efficiently. Um, yeah, I, I work, I'm a volunteer in a wildfire uh, volunteer unit as a wildland firefighter. Um, it's my background in emergency uh, response, and we've obviously, as a, I was a, a professional having a specialist crew, and we still offer that service as far as prescribed burning and this kind of um, thing goes. Um, over the years, as I've gone to instance more and more, we've seen the use of ICS increasing. Um, we would use ICS when we do prescribed burns. So personally, the type of uh, place I would use it was when we're doing a prescribed burn with a client, no matter what size it is, it could be several square kilometers, it could be a couple of hundred square meters. We will employ uh, ICS, we run through a pre-plan, there'll be a briefing, clear objectives, set divisions, set up groups, whatever we need within that. Run the whole thing through ICS as a clear chain of command. Um, whoever's in charge of that, myself and my business partner, uh, we maintain that oversight we don't get involved in anything and then we basically wind up and prescribe burn in the same way. Um, so it's very much around the prescribed burning that we, we do use it. When we were responding with the specialist crew, we would normally, be, because we were a specialist crew, we'd be responding to an initial incident, in which case we mm -hmm. would then, one of us could take charge of it and we would again put whichever crews were arriving, we'd, we'd place them in positions we need and we'd run the incident management system on that. But often we were responding to a fire with other um, fire services or the, the district fire services who would then take charge and we would run we would work within the system underneath uh, leadership 
Okay. But because we had a clear understanding, it was very easy for us to work in the role of a division supervisor or an operations uh, section chief. Uh, for me, the division supervisor role is a brilliant role. It's, you're on the ground still, you're out there, you've got a, a lot of responsibility, um, but you're a very important part of that, that cog. Um, for me, you're still out there in the incident, you're not removed in a, in a room making decisions, you know, several kilometers from the incident. So I, I prefer that. It's, uh, it's amazing to have actually buddy, uh, someone that is doing a footwork as well as the training part. Uh, I know that from the, the incident commander that we have at our SAR team, that he does that also gets that same role there. And I love yeah. when a trainer is not only capable of being in the field while actually doing it as well and then doing that training. So it, it's, uh, it's a way and common problem within the security industry, especially the private security industry where we see a lot of trainers that just learn from the books. And yes. yeah. I think that's the very, very important that <clears throat> to fully understand and get how ICS works, you have to have experienced it. You have to have used it yourself and implemented it. But as a trainer, having that in the field experience, uh, one is that it, it, it counts so much when you're talking to people, you're training other people, if they understand that you actually have experience in this, you, you've been out there, you've got dirty, you know what it's about. You're speaking from that position of experience and you can bring in real um, real incidents that have occurred to explain certain sort of areas of the training as you go along. The other thing with being in the field is that you're constantly learning. You, mm. you never know everything. You're always going to learn. Um, and that is the, what you take back to the classroom is as it's a kind of an evolving lesson. So otherwise I think you get stale. Um, and as long as possible, I'm, I'm going to continue going out into the field. All right. You mentioned earlier that, ICS is also, so the incident command system, I think we didn't use that word uh, before. So it's a system that is a top-down system and is able to work not only for emergency services, but also for like people that manage events, uh, businesses, or even down to the project level. Um, can you elaborate how other instances, other companies, other individuals can use ICS without being an emergency responder? Sure. Um, I think uh, sometimes I think the, unfor the unfortunate uh, thing with ICS is the word command in, in the title. I think it puts a lot of people who aren't, in, in respond who aren't responders off because it comes along with a sort of feeling of authority and, mm -hmm. and dictatorship. But um, so often we'll, we'll use the term management instead, incident management system. But um, uh, wedding organizers, it's the perfect uh, environment to use, um, to use ICS. It, a wedding is kind of an extended incident. It's an extended event. So you can run, <laughs> you can run your incident action plan. You can, you can delegate your roles out. Um, if you think about it, you operate, you know, you will decide who's going to be the incident commander. And that could become a very political decision if you're doing a wedding. <laughs> but basically you have your role. <laughs> yeah, you have finance, you have logistics, you have planning, um, you have the operational side. It's all the same. It's just got, you know, different names. I come from the advertising um, world and uh, film sets and big, big uh, still photographic shoots. Uh, mm. I wish I'd known ICS back then because that's how we would have run the system. All those roles uh, can be adapted to to people out there, you know, with, with under a, a, fil a film structure. Um, 
again, you're in some commander, your producer, then you have your operations section chief, that's your director. Um, mm -hmm. Then you've got your, uh, your exec producers, that's finance. So you, you'd break it up into those different roles. So logistics is logistics, you know, and um, it, it's a very efficient system. I've tried to speak to the local film industry about it, taking it on, but again, I think it's a little bit foreign to them. Um, but events, it's the same thing. It makes it so simple. And what I like is that it's from the top down, but ICS allows for that ability uh, as a tactical responder to be fluid, to adapt mm. on the ground as you go. Um, and actually, it's a little bit similar to um, the way the, you know, in the Second World War, we had the, obviously the Germans and the, the sort of allies and the Axis fighting each other. But the, the allies had a very, um, they had a very sort of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, traditional structure of command and, and sort of obeying in the field. And the German infantry had evolved this more modern system where, and it's similar to ICS, where they had objectives um, at a higher level, strategic objectives. But the way it was carried out as it went down into the division supervisors and the leadership positions who were tactical, they had the ability to become more fluid and to, to react to stuff on the ground uh, and then feed that information back up. And that's, that's kind of how ICS is. And it's quite interesting when I was reading up on it and, and learning more about it, that the wildland firefighters in America have, have sort of their way of dealing with fire, which is what led into the creation of ICS. A lot of it evolved from um, observing how the military system had worked. So it's, it's actually quite fascinating. And, and uh, I think the more people get to do it or understand it, the more they'll realize it's it's better. And this is why I think the courses like 100, 200, if they're designed correctly and put across in the right, right way and you get sort of event managers and wedding planners, um, film producers to do the courses and they're not that long and they're not that complicated. By the time they've done them, they will realize that actually this is a fantastic system and it'll make their lives a lot easier if they used it um, when they did those events. You uh, mentioned that there are levels in ICS. Um, because a lot of my listeners are probably not aware even what those levels are. Uh, can you explain uh, why these levels, why there are levels and yeah. the, the use of those levels? Sure. As in levels, you're talking about the 100, 200, 300. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, uh, I mean, again, this 100, 200, 300, this is just, um, there's terminology that's evolved from the American system. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, basically works out that it's like anything uh, when you go into training a new system um, it's about understanding the, the, the very basics of that system the core of what it what it is to operate within it mm -hmm. and that's your introduction or your, your, your sort of introduction um, to that and then you'll go into a 200 which is your basic uh, ICS or incident command system and that it takes the introduction that you've got that you've got and it kind of opens it up a bit more explains a bit more about certain roles and you start to get a feeling of how this thing can evolve and it's, again, it's just like onion layers. As you go, you open up more. The, then you get into your 300, 400, and that gets more into the more strategic side of stuff when you would move uh, with this, you would get experience. And when you're doing ICS 300, 400, you would be into a, a, a sort of higher level leadership position. So you wouldn't be leading a, a task force or a strike team or even a, a single resource. You'd be leading, and uh, just for the listeners, a task force is a basically a, a collective of uh, resources of different types and kinds and a strike team is just the same type of, and, and kind it's just a way of, of understanding what you're asking for when you're in the ICS in, in the system but 300 400 is for people who are going to be in 
on the incident management team or feeding information directly into the incident management team. The incident management team is the team that's going to be running that incident. And that can be run over uh, whatever time period you want, but it's normally a sort of 24 hour, 12 or 24 hour operational period. And every 12 or 24 hours, uh, if that's an extended incident, the, op the management team will change over and they'll do a, de a, a briefing as they and a handover. So you have your 100, your, your introduction, your 200, which is your basic, 300, 400, which is more intermediate, getting to the more high level. And from that, you then have a full understanding of, of the system and how to use it. You then get into your role-specific training. Mm -hmm. It's very important to follow this process. And it's one of the sort of the... One of the uh, things we found out here is that they tried, they've tried to fast track a lot of people into higher positions because they're fire officers with 30 years and they're um, divisional commander or whatever they are. They try and put them straight into an operational planning section chief role, but they haven't done the 100, 200, 300 to get up there. And so there's that, that sort of uh, underneath knowledge missing. It's very important to go through that step-by-step -step process. There's a reason it's in place. And then when you get to the, the role specific, that's when you can actually decide what you want to get into. Is your interest logistics? Is it finance planning? Do you, know, do, you really, do you want to sit and look at all the information coming in and then try and work out the plans going forward for the next two, three days? That's your planning area and that's going to get fed to the incident commander. So you can choose your roles. And that's why I said I, I find the division supervisor role a really fantastic role. Um, I'm not sure I want to get into that operational section chief or definitely it's for me, incident commander, it's very high level, you, you're so removed from everything and all the responsibilities on your head. So if things go wrong, it's your call. <laughs> With a division supervisor and operations section chief, yeah, you, you're, you're, you're more in the field. I mean, division supervisor in the field, operations section chief back at, at, the, um, at the incident command post, um, but a bit more involved in operation, or more involved in operations. So it's just literally a step-by-step -step process. And as you get up that, you'll find areas that appeal to you more you find you're better at and you want to want to be in that and obviously the operational side is, is normally the biggest side with the most people and most resources um, but I, I think you know people who are who like strategic thoughts and trying to solve uh, riddles and puzzles the planning section is a fantastic place to to be i i do think um i love that you went into the last part by just getting into the role specifically and how we match up with that in my 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 volunteer SAR team as well, we get uh, we have something that's called the SAR operator course. That is the basic demanded course for everybody to start moving into ICS and also uh, ground training and in our case grid searches. Um, yes, but I do think that it's important. I lost my question there. Um, <laughs> that works. Um, Give me a second. I'll get back on that. <laughs> oh, the position specific stuff with the song yeah. operator. Yeah. Um, that. Oh yeah. Now I now, now I know the question again. If I notice that if we start to get better in those roles, but eventually I noticed that in my team is that everybody started to be fully positioned to that incident commander. So if an incident commander was not showing up, the whole team would fell apart. Um, so I, I do think that that is one of the disadvantages. Maybe it's my team, uh, but I do think that is might be one of the disadvantages of ICS structure. How do you deal with that? 
Well, I, th I think it's actually a very interesting point that, that you made there. It's um, if you've done the basics of, of ICS, if you've gone through that step-by-step -step process, by the time you're getting into the more specific training around a, a role like an incident commander or a planning section chief, which is very much gets more into the nitty gritty details of what is expected of you. What are your responsibilities? What is the role? How do you break it down? What paperwork do you fill in? Um, and, 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 you know, all those areas. Mm. At that point, you already have the core understanding of ICS. So mm. anyone who, everyone who's actually gone up through the 100, 200, going into the 300 or just on the 100, 200, to be honest, should be able to manage an incident as long as it doesn't get too compl complex or, or, or sort of too large. They should be able to manage any incident, actually, mm. without needing to look to someone you know, higher up. If your incident commander uh, goes down, if you trained in, if your whole team is trained in ICS, so, someone there who's got the confidence just needs to step up and take that role because it's basically it's just management by objectives. What are the object objectives? Mm. We're going to have three key objectives. So it's very important to remember that people can't remember more than sort of, especially in a crisis situation, three key points. What are those three main objectives we want to achieve today? And mm. then from there, it's how, how are we going to achieve them? But it's those three things. So it's basically just getting in and going, well, you know, again, I'll bring it back to a, a big motor vehicle crash or what are we going to, you stop there. What's the main first thing you're going to do? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a quick uh, situation, you know, sort of, um, uh, size up at the scene. What are the hazards, this kind of stuff? Okay. What are the objectives here? Well, life safety. Always, mm -hmm. our mine, ours, and the, and the the public first, and then we break it down into: Are we going to secure this area? Is there a fire? Do we need to put it out? Do we need to um, triage the people for you know first? And so that's where you break it down. But anyone with the basic responder training and one hundred, two hundred should be able to take that role and and make those decisions. So we can just shove them up there, um, and in my case. Um, what do you do then if not somebody is taking up that role? Because uh, in, in my team, we have, indeed, if the incident commander fell out for some reason or did not deploy or was not available by phone or something, then nobody would step in that role to be that incident commander because nobody wants to be that full overhead responsibility. Um, how yeah, do you deal with that? Sure. Yeah, that's that's a very tricky one. I think it comes down to um, to confidence, and mm -hmm. confidence is backed up by knowledge. You know, if you have the knowledge, if you've built your knowledge, um, then you should be able to, and you have the confidence because you know that you you understand, you've got the training, you understand the situation, you've got the confidence to take control and manage it. Uh, you know, again, anyone can do that. They just need to have that that knowledge, which gives them that confidence. Um, I think it's uh, it's a huge mistake to try and um, to jump to the higher level training or courses. And in America, you could, you just can't do it. You you have to go through that process. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, out here, a lot of uh, for a long time, people were just jumping straight up. And I've been on incidents where I'd arrive as basically a, a team leader with a, a wildland crew, um, mm. and I'm responding, and I'm and uh, sitting underneath a division supervisor or a group supervisor if we're doing structure protection or whatever role it is we arrive and find that this guy has has done one course hasn't got any of the foundation work of ics mm. and actually doesn't know what they're doing and they they become dangerous in my opinion because they they're scared to make a decision because they don't fully understand what they're involved with mm. so they, they they take so long to make decisions and i mean you know as a as a responder um you have to make quick decisions 
and, and yes, they've got to be very well, they're educated decisions because you've got that training and experience behind you, but you have to make quick decisions. Um, if you hesitate one way or the other, you know, and you can't decide one way or the other, invariably people are going to get hurt or something's going to get damaged. And I think that's the problem is that it's very important um, to follow that step-by-step -step process. And, and I do see ICS slowly spreading out around the world. And I think most countries are taking it on the right way. And, and what helps, of course, is that if it's mandated by the government that this is the, the process and that you have to follow the, the correct uh, tuition to get there. You mentioned that it started to spread. Uh, I know that the origin, like you mentioned, the origins of the instrument command system is in America, uh, indeed, with the the uh, from the military uh, that is being developed from World War Two, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, I know that you in our talks in our emails. I know that you were talking that you are implementing in a different way. Um, how are you implementing it between the original American ICS system and the part that you're trying to or deploying now in South Africa? So the difference really comes down to, I think it's one is it's uh, taking the training, it's the training materials, adapting them to your environment and to your language, your, your, um, your skill sets and understanding the, 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 the audience that you're speaking to. Um, the American um, uh, system we find is it, it's it comes across as quite complicated, especially mm -hmm. in you know, in South Africa. We don't we don't have a we have an education issue. We're still trying to get um, the, you know, the population, everyone, you know, uh, up to a certain level of education. And a, a lot of guys, are, you know, get into uh, emergency services haven't always got that that massive that great background in, in education. Mm. And that that's difficult when you're trying to bring through a, a sort of strategic system uh one is that it's if you haven't got that educational background it's quite different different difficult to interpret or understand so we have to break it down and make it a bit simpler and that's why i said we kind of build it in little stages so it becomes easier to understand um and of course then there's always resistance from the from people who have been using the existing system for 30 40 50 years who mm. don't don't see why we need something new uh, once they get to understand it they'll they'll come around to it but uh so I think it's that, it's that terminology. Um, mm. You know, it, it is very American when you read the material and stuff. Um, and I, I think it's, I know the Australians, um, the Australians basically uh, took, uh, I think they brought it, they took it on in, when was it, 2000? I think early 2000s, I think it's early 2000s, 2009, somewhere around there. They took on, they saw ICS and they, they took it on and they then evolved into what's now called the Australian, um, it's called AIMS, uh, Australian mm. Incident Management System or Inter, Inter Agency Man um, in, uh, Incident Management System. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's very important for a country to kind of own it. The, the core of it works very well, but I, I think it needs to be adapted. For, for South Africa, there's no ways we can, we would normally fill all the roles within an incident um, command system organogram or all the roles that you could have mm. uh, you just don't have that many responders out here you know in america you has you'll have thousands of people at an incident mm. um, there are big incidents uh, the nice the fires incident back in 2017 i think at, at max is probably pushing up to about one and a half two thousand responders um, wow. and they just don't have the ability to fulfill all of those those roles uh, i think the other problem is that the way the training comes across is that you you should be putting it 
filling that that organogram chart of all those different positions you should be filling it up as much as possible in fact mm. it's it's not like that at all um you only use what you need um so mm. with a, we realized with training we started off taking using the american system because it was being run as a sort of um the the americans through the us uh, aid or usaid they were coming out here and doing running training they're very keen to get ics working all over the world they see it as a good system and uh, they're running training out here which is where we got our training and then we started our sort of co-running training and now we're running our own training what we realize is that it's just it's it's overwhelming the the way the Ameri- way the way it's trained there it's uh, very overwhelming for people out here mm. so we just simplified it broke it down um, to what the core is and put it across in a, in a sort of terminology that our audience understands. So the, 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 the basics of it, the, you know, the still, it's all the, ter- all the, the positions are there, public information mm. officer, safety officer, you know, operations section chief. It's just, you have to get, you have to understand your target market to be able to get it to be trained effectively. Um, if we were to train in Europe, I think we would have a different approach. Mm. You know, it's, um, and, and again, the other thing, each country also has different, different ways of dealing with um, sort of what seems deemed as training or authority, you know, so if, mm. you know, some countries are very, uh, very open and it's, you know, new systems are interesting, we'll try it, it's very sort of democratic, other mm. areas of the world. Um, and I know that ICS is being uh, looked at in the Middle East as well. But again, quite interesting, because the whole point with ICS, you have that feedback loop, you have the ability mm. to, to adapt. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have a very uh, you know, autocratic environment and you've got ICS being run as kind of a you do as I say kind of now thing, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves in, in different places around the world. But what I do love is that if we can get more and more people onto uh, the incident command system, it does mean that we have the ability to go and help people in other countries. Uh, mm-hmm. we, can, we can go around the world, you know, you come out here, I could go over to Europe and we can work within the same system. We almost don't even need to be able to speak the same language as long as we speak the same language of ICS. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I thought was very important is that, uh, and I think it's something that needs to be standardized globally, is mm-hmm. the color the coding within ICS. Mm-hmm. Um, when I looked into it and we designed the toolkit for the South African Incident Command System, we, we looked at the American one and I saw lots of different, I mean, it sounds silly, but you know, you've got operation section chief is red, uh, green, or, uh, yellow, orange. Uh, those need to be standardized, um, mm. I think, globally. So that wherever you arrive in the world, if somebody's wearing a bib of a particular color, you know exactly what their role is. Um, mm. And you know, if you arrive in, um, if you arrive to help at a big earthquake in Japan, mm. uh, as some of our guys in South Africa did um, a while back, they don't speak Japanese, but they were able to be very effective because they knew exactly what they had to do underneath in a division, underneath a division supervisor. So, wow, I think that will be a definitely a goal for for the world and ICS to start implementing and standardizing this basic system all over the world. Uh, I know that here in the Netherlands we do use. A little bit like it we use the grip system or something like that right. I'll look uh, it up. it's an it's an interesting system but again it's not flexible and that's the the yeah. main part that i see with the, the the grip system yeah it's a standardized system within the netherlands but yeah. uh when i look at police and i look at ambulance and i look at fire yes they are able to work together but they are not flexible and stackable 
and able to contract and expand as well as ICS does. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, with, with climate change that we, and the impacts that we're seeing, you know, and the things like um, firefighters going to Australia um, at the end of last year to assist from other places around the world, Mm. Um, you'd be able to go to Australia and if you understand ICS, you'd be able to fit into their, their aim system very, very quickly. Mm. Um, so it, again, it's, it's, it's much safer. You know, we, you know what the system is. You're not going to have uh, problems in that regard. Uh, and I think as, as we move into this new area where we're going to see more volatile um, weather and, and incidents related to weather, mm. we're going to need to help each other. And uh, this is key. I don't think... You know, some countries, sure, they're big, they've got lots of resources they can probably manage, but there's a lot of countries in the world who have no ability to manage and they will need assistance. And if we're all operating underneath that system, it's brilliant. You know, we arrive at the airport, get our bags, go there, check in, get onto the incident, go through the login procedure, go to the briefing, get our incident action plan and, you know, and uh, our 214s, which is the field briefing form. Um, mm. And off we go. You know, you've got it written down. This is what we need to achieve today during our operational period, fantastic. Feed that information back up the line. So yeah, I think it would be, it's the, the, ideal, the ideal future world we see where everyone's working under one system. That will be perfect. Like that will be like me, just I'm not responding to out of, uh, out of country responders yet. I'm still looking, uh, I'm starting something called the Spartan Rescue Project where I'm building a like a Jeep, like a, a Toyota Hilux and filling them with all kinds of SAR equipment and search and rescue equipment and then go yeah. through uh, travel throughout Europe and supporting uh, individual SAR organizations and security organizations. I would like love to have ICS rolled there out as well. I do know yeah. that a lot of volunteer SAR organizations tend to use ICS. Well, I know that a lot of volunteers or organizations are not there and familiar, totally familiar with it to the point that we can actually, like you mentioned, speak the same language. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's brilliant. That's, uh, I think that's a, that's a fantastic uh, thing to want to achieve. And, and by, it's a way of almost like sort of spreading that training and knowledge of it, which is fantastic too. Um, how do you, you see? Because I know that our a lot of myths and misconceptions with ICS. Can you help some of those myths and misconceptions out of this world? <laughs> um, I can try. I can try. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, trying to think of some of the ones that we have come up with our with our training. Um, cool. I think that the main one we've come across, so I think so the main misconception we've come across in South Africa is that that you have to implement the entire ICS structure mm. immediately on an incident and fill all the roles up. And this has kind of been one of the things where I said, people, it's overwhelming. Oh, mm -hmm. all these positions, what, I, you know, I only have 20 responders in my district or 20, 20 firefighter. How am I supposed to fight the fire and try and run the system at the same time? I think that's, mm. That's one of the things is that implementing the system and, and responding and, and trying to match the two, marry, marry the two, um, it's totally doable, but it seems quite uh, foreign to people. It seems like they've got to try and wear two hats. 
And, you know, initial, uh, the initial response is always an initial response. It's an emergency response. You arrive, you, you hit you at the ground running, you're going to training. You just have to take command. You have to have someone in command. That's it. Bang. ICS. That's it. It's that simple. From there, you, you build it as you need to. As it escalates, that's when ICS as a, as a full, you know, management system starts to take over. And for, uh, for us out here, responding to a wildfire that's going to run for four to, to eight hours, there's an ICS structure. We, as we, we arrive, we know who's in charge. We know quick right, briefing here, this, this division, we're going here, whatever, and it's understood. If that evolves and it runs into 12 hours and then starts running to that sort of 24-hour period and it looks like it could get bigger, mm-hmm. that's when you kind of you do that, take a breath, step back, and the incident management system starts rolling. So that's when you would call in somebody Right, this is getting beyond my scope. I need I need a management team to help me here. I, I'm I'm trying to run this incident. I need someone to handle logistics, and then you put in someone who starts handling the logistics, bringing responders in, uh, making sure they're fed, setting up a camp so that people can can actually not have to drive all the way back home again, that they can sleep near the incident and get back in. You know, once they've rested, and that's how that system rolls in. It's it's it really takes off when the incident escalates. Um, it's still being used when you respond with just five people it's just that Mm. i think it takes a while for people to understand that that they don't have to arrive there and like okay well i'm instant commander now you're an operations section chief and you're going to have to be logistics and Mm. it's just that if you've got a team of five and and you need to have somebody deal with some extra resources arriving Mm. they're going to go do that essentially they're just logistics so it's still it's still happening it's just you don't set it up you haven't got all that paperwork you haven't got that process running I think that's the difference is that I think when people see how the process can run and they've run through, and one thing we have found hugely, hugely helpful um, in our training is simulations. Mm. We run simulations. Um, we do classroom, in-classroom simulations, and we run simulations in the field. And these field simulations by far are the best way of getting people to understand the system. We did done some quite big ones um, with volunteer organizations and then bringing in some of the, the, the sort of national um, say the, uh, the the park resources you know the, the guys who also respond to fires but underneath not as a fire not as fire services but as um what do you call it uh, national parks mm. but what we find is that we run this uh, simulation scenario and because there's people out out running around in the forest or mountains doing stuff um, you get real real feedback coming through. You get real incidents happening. And the guys who are who are being trained in the incident management team role back at the incident command post, uh, they start to get a real feel for how it can be on an incident. Um, mm. And you, you can also sort of keep putting little spokes in the in the wheel to try and trip them up and get them to learn on you know to, to how to handle um, crisis. But the fact is, the guys out in the field are also getting to understand how it works physically and actually how the whole thing clicks together. So that I think is key. I think going and studying the 100, 200 is fantastic. It gives you that core. Mm-hmm. Um, getting up to the 300 level gives you a much better strategic overview. But having field exercises where you actually use ICS mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. So one is you would use the ICS to run your simulation. Um, and then in the simulation, you have people using ICS to respond to that in that simulation. And, and that's where, for me, key learning, that's, that's really where it clicks. And you see people kind of go, oh, all right, I get it now. I actually get it because it's real. Um, do you have, I know that some environments like did a test that they set up a group that were doing 
a non-ICS response in a, in a like a, a top-down desk, and the other group used a uh, a top-down desk, and they did use ICS, and I, there was a clear difference between them because okay. even though the uh, both groups were untrained, uh, I read that somewhere, hmm. and the the group that was providing ICS because they had the structure had the incident solved way early ahead of time than the group that was not using ICS and were also not knowledgeable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. I really like that idea. Um, uh, maybe you can work with that maybe as a, as a, a practical uh, example for, for you guys in, uh, in oh, South Africa. That, I really like that. That's no, that's, that's fantastic. I think, you know, it's, it's that you know it's like that clear chain of command clear communications and when you don't have that if you you know you have too many people trying to take charge people it, it's uh, something we wanted to do within um within a, uh, for the public envir environment is mm. throw them in the deep end mm. throw a crisis at them as a group see how they manage it mm. then put them through a little bit of training in ics and then throw a crisis at them and mm. see how they manage it again and i think you'll see a clear difference in the the safety and the ability to to you know uh, have a have a, a positive outcome to that. That's what we um, are training, like the SAR operator there uh, that I mentioned earlier. Um, we actually have a team team development structure in that. So, well, getting into the ICS, uh, the, our incident commander, our trainer can see what role might able to fit them, and also that they like. Um, I think it's our, our teamwork day or something like that that we uh, use, and nice. we actually align people, and uh, he starts to give him them like roles according to the ICS, but they are not familiar with that they are using ICS. And right. um, I know that I was in the training myself, and then uh, watching new participants getting into that, and it's amazing to see how they structure and align themselves without not knowing that they are actually using ICS. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I like that. How, um, because we're in a, basically we're in a, in a crisis right now. Um, yes. How is your response and your familiarity as a crisis manager to this situation that we're in currently? Right, so, I mean, as a company, um, the unfortunately a lot of our work is being curtailed during this but um the way we are assisting with this crisis is in the communication side um the wildfire mm. management company um, has a massive arm that does uh, awareness and communication so we're working with a local district municipality um out here um, to assist their communications department with communications uh, to the public around COVID 19. Mm -hmm. um, as a government department they sometimes sort of a bit um restricted in, in the way that they can approach something. So as an outside organization, uh, and also with the background in advertising, we're able to come in and um, bring them some more left field, uh, edgy uh, communications. And mm. so far we've uh, pitched the ideas to them. Um, and we're starting to roll out a, um, a program at the moment. And we, they're, they're loving it just because we're coming in and trying to understand you need to get to behavioral change. We need people to listen and you have to, you're never going to get everybody to listen to the message. Mm. But what you have to do is you have to get those, those key people in, in communities uh, um, and groups 
who will listen to the message, who do take it on, and who are influencers within their their group or community. And I think that's that's key. As a, as our our role here is very much around getting the right the right message to the right people, who we know will then disseminate it out. And that's important because this blanket approach of communications out to to groups of people um, just washes over most people. So mm -hmm. we want to get more targeted in our communications and awareness. And, and that's very much the area we are in within this uh, COVID-19 crisis in South Africa is assisting with that communication and awareness. Um, and we're obviously offer, offering online training as well. Uh, a lot of good people sitting at home, a lot of responders, volunteers. Mm. Um, and we, we dropped our prices immediately to allow people to, to get on the course and, and, and do the training. I think that is an absolute amazing way and i want to give you a shout out for that for doing that um because this enables indeed to one not only get more possible first responders in south africa to maybe supporting uh covid uh, supporting covid reductionary efforts uh, but also getting the responders that are sitting at home and not able to respond or actually getting the training that they need to keep that yeah. up and I love that. Thank you for, as, as a personal uh, SAR volunteer in the Netherlands, that it hasn't received a lot of training lately uh, that I needed to go out do and my own research. And that's why Secure Mindset yes. is part of that. Um, yeah. I do really want to hang, thank you highly for that. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. We just, um, we've, we've seen it. One is we, we've been trying to build the online training presence. Anyway, we feel this, it's a massive area for, for, uh, people to be able to go and do courses. Mm. Um, people are busy these days there's a lot going on. Um, having, um, having sort of 20 people in a room for three days is great because you're in person training, mm. but we don't know, you know, do how people take it on, do they use it in the field? So we'd rather run programs where, you have a uh, short, you know, short courses people can get online. They can go through stuff. It's more interactive. It's more engaging. Mm -hmm. They actually um, take it on and learn it. And one of the things we were trying to um, trying to get going in South Africa, and we're working with the government on trying to uh, make this happen, is to have a more ongoing process with training. So it's not just putting people on a course, mm -hmm. but it's actually being, uh, engaging with those people continually. So you go back in a, in a couple of months' time and you do a, a in-field simulation. And see how, how how have they learned? Have they have they managed to pick it up? If they haven't, where where are the holes? Where are they missing stuff? Right, let's address mm -hmm. that. So it's an ongoing process, and I think especially with an emergency response, it's very important. It's not just it's not just attending a course. It's mm -hmm. using it properly and safely, and it's a responsibility of the training company to make sure that happens, and it's a responsibility of the responders to to also take it on board. Um, but you know, I found that. Going sitting in a course, uh, you get, especially if you don't know ICS, you walk into a, into a sort of a three-day course or something like that. You sit down and you get tons of information washing over you and you walk out and you don't really understand it. And mm. that's why I said that's that in-field experience and that training. And that's why also going through it in a slower process and from the bottom up is so, mm. so important um, to really fully grasp it. Um, when I did my 100, the guy who was training me said, well, go off this weekend and, and just apply it apply it to your life apply it to what you're doing at that time just think how you would apply it practically in, the, in those environments mm. you know sort of going hiking with friends on the weekend how would you apply it mm. um and it, it gets you to think and you realize oh i could do this i could you know and it makes it a lot easier to start understanding the system and once you understand that it's not scary anymore and then 
it's you realize it's, it's very easy to take on can you uh give for our listeners and for, for viewers can you give them a small training so uh like a small insight like you mentioned right now that they can start practicing and actually start seeing ics developments in their basic lives yeah very interesting um a silly example would be literally if you <laughs> but not really relevant with COVID going on would be getting a, a whole bunch of people together to to watch a football match um uh -huh. having a barbecue at a friend's house um imagine doing this now uh, with the incident command system so mm. who would be the incident commander who's who's organizing are you doing everything or are you delegating out to other people um mm. it's a lot easier to delegate out so you're going to ask a friend could you bring pick up some beers could you pick up, pick up some meats and some vegetables whatever um, another friend's you know uh, got a, a great really nice big tv so you know can you organize the logistics on that side and you start breaking it down you start thinking about planning who's planning it who's in charge who's actually doing what, um, what are the costs, who's covering the costs. Uh, think about um, the way I always see it is, and unfortunately in this country, we, we don't have great public transport, so we're driving a lot, but it's, it's when you're driving and there's a car crash. And unfortunately, I've come across a lot of car crashes and, and it, seeing so many car crashes made me go and do first aid training. So I understood I could help better. Mm. And ICS was brilliant because I knew immediately that very few people in that incident have the understanding of how to manage manage that incident safely so immediately i'll stop and i'll go in and i'll just find take charge find out who else is there what skill sets is are there medical people that, that we can work together but then i take charge and i'll give someone a responsibility to go and do the emergency call someone else to manage the people um who knows first aid here right let's get in and triage and treat patients and meanwhile i'll stay back as so now i'm incident commander mm. managing the people trying to keep an overview and keep everyone safe. Uh, have we managed to stop the traffic? Do we need to get traffic in here to stop the traffic or do we just need to get some people to wave flags and try and slow mm. everyone down? Uh, it's that kind of thinking of just understanding the basics of, of the you know, instant command system and how it's applied into your life. And then you could literally just do the 100 course and then start applying that into your daily thinking of how you're going to, to use it. Um, and that's yeah, that's kind of how I how I see it working. Yeah, I got I got sidetracked there because um uh, I, I I saw that that little instance coming up and was like okay I need to hook on that because that might be a really interesting part for our listeners. Sure. Uh, so thank you for that. No problem. Um, so you were mentioning that the the current COVID response indeed that the your the fire is taking the public information uh, role in that. Um, how is that currently developing? Are you planning to keep on that behavior change to keep it permanently with the people? Or are you uh, using that as a temporary option? No, it's actually, it's, it's um, the, the initial uh, project came about um, as part of a, a a job that an insurance company out here, Suntime Insurance, has basically put some money into helping the Cape Wine um, municipality with their communications. And the idea was they're working on all hazard. How do we get people who have exposure to um, extreme weather like snow, possible earthquake, fires, um, uh, possible civil unrest? How do you get them to understand one is what their risk is? 
and, yeah. and two, what can they do about that risk? How can they manage their own situation so that they're not a burden on the, on the, you know, sort of the, the, the municipality. Um, and so that, that project we already had uh, in, in the pipeline, we were getting it running and then COVID uh, arrived in South Africa and um, all the, the government departments are really struggling. The, they're kind of overloaded. I think with, like with everybody, it's information overload. Um, this thing uh, escalates so fast that people sort of are just on the, basically on the ground running. So because we had this, pro we'd already proposed a, our pilot project on how to um, work with driving behavioral change within people. Uh, they asked us if we could then adapt it to the COVID situation. So we had, we had 10 streams, uh, 10 uh, basically uh, streams that we wanted to operate. Uh, each one had a particular outcome. And we then took two of those streams and we've adapted them to the COVID situation to try and drive and get a better response from people to understand the importance of wearing a mask, the social distancing, just the basics that we all know globally now. Mm. But uh, there, was a, there was kind of a lack of ability for them to reach the people. And I've seen this, um, and like I said earlier, it's a passion of mine is, is the, the wildfire urban interface uh, risk. But I've seen it globally where you have fantastic um, awareness campaigns. Um, you know, in Australia, some incredible um, video and ads and stuff, it's uh, just amazing. They're, they're, they're breathtaking to look at, they're powerful, they have impact, but they still have problems with people reducing their wildfire risk. America, we have uh, the FireWise program, um, which is a rollout across America, uh, and yet you still have communities being, homes being lost, people being killed, the, the situation like in that fire in paradise, people trapped, um, same in Canada, same worldwide, and I'm, I'm on a group uh, uh, who, who communicate globally around wildfire and wildfire risk, and it's a global issue. We, I think it's with, actually with most things, it's, it's about behavioral change. How do we trigger those behavioral changes in people? And as humans, we, we're very, how we manage to evolve to become this sort of dominant species on mm -hmm. Earth is beyond me because we, <laughs> we just don't deal with risk. We're terrible. We tend to leave it. You know, it's not going to happen to me kind of thing. <laughs> But I, but I want to understand how do we find those trigger points to get people to change? Mm. And I've seen some of that happening within COVID, people self-isolating, you know, being more careful. Um, but I think the, the key to it is understanding that you can't use a broad brush. You have to be very targeted. You mm. have to understand exactly who you're speaking to and speak to them in a way that they will understand and respond to. And this cuts across basically all the different layers of educations, uh, cultures. So you can't just have one awareness program that, that works for everybody. You have to mm -hmm. be able to go in and take the, that core message and kind of break, it's like ICS, a core objective and break it down into how do we reach and get a behavioral change from, from that group of people, you know, and that group of people, we know we're not going to get hundred percent buy-in and, mm. but what we need to do is we need to get that 10, 15%. Who, who will to take on the behavioral change, who will um, then influence other people, those are the people we want to target and get. So it, it, it takes some research. We have to understand the target market, what's, you know, the type of people it's made up of, um, what communications platforms do they use, uh, what level of education, um, how do they access information, and mm -hmm. understanding that, we can then take our creative ideas and then we're basically able to get those creative ideas onto the ground to those people then starts the feedback process of trying to see the, on the response of that. And I think for us, this is very, very interesting. Is if, we, if we can get the responses that we want and we have the ability to constantly adapt and change what we're doing, 
to get those responses. Where things are working, we'll keep doing that and we'll use it in other areas. And where it doesn't work, we'll stop that and change it. And that gives us the ability to start kind of create modeling of what or methodology of what works. And I think if we can develop this and build this and, and collaborate with other people around the world, especially sort of sociologists and behavioral change experts, we'll be able to work out how to get awareness programs to actually have an impact with people in different areas and with different hazards. So that, that's, that's very interesting. And it's sort of kind of, it's almost opportune that COVID happened with this evolving. Um, it's, I mean, it's not something I really wish that ever happened. Um, mm -hmm. It's such a huge impact, a negative impact globally. But um, I think as humans, we'll learn massively out of this. And, and uh, myself, I'm learning already on, on just the communication side and man incident management side of things. Wow. You, you, uh, thank you for, for that great answer. Uh, there is a lot of information in that. I know that you were earlier mentioning about the public uh, relations office. I've got the term uh, that comes up. Um, but you were mentioning about managing fake news, basically, like fake information. How do you, yeah. as a company, uh, differentiate between fake and uh, real sure this is this is where the public yeah it's the public information officer this is where the role gets so complicated um and in fact it's not just what we found is invariably you don't if you're running an incident management team it's not just one person you're going to need a team of people to help that person mm. these days because you almost need one person monitoring each social media platform to pick mm. up on the on the fake news um it's actually a big problem in south africa it was highlighted by an article i read online recently um where South Africa is one of the hotspots in the world for the spread of fake news. Um, and mm. I've actually arrested people over here now for spreading fake news. Um, I think what's very important is uh, it's, 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 uh, it almost comes down to educating the way we educate our kids, I think needs to evolve. We're still educating in a way that's been going on, gone, you know, for about a hundred years. Mm. We've still got a, it's, it's maybe evolved. It's, it's, we're using computers now. We're using all sorts of interactive tools. But the core of the education is kind of the same. What we're not educating people on is how to exist in, in the modern world that we, we all live in. Um, how, do you, how do you go out and, and sort of navigate this world? How do you navigate the business-to-business, uh, person-to-person relationships? And, and how do you navigate um, fake news? And, uh, you know, there's always been uh, rumor going, rumors and fake news going around. But in this age, with so many social media platforms and mm. the ease of communication, it honestly spreads like, like, like a virus, pardon the pun, or, or wildfire. <laughs> but I think it's important that each person understands they have a responsibility to just, and it doesn't take long. I mean, we've got so much ability these days to fact check stuff. Mm. It doesn't take long to fact check something to go on and just double check, check a few websites, read up on it, and you can make a pretty informed decision. Is this real or not? Um, as a member of the public, I think that's an important thing that we should be doing. And I think it's something we should be bringing through into our, into our education is teaching our kids in schools, like how, because the wrong information can have such a bad consequence. Mm -hmm. And I'll bring it into an incident, you know, the wrong information. And during the nice fires, we had this going on, there was fake news going on during the incident and there was no incident management team in place. This, even in 2017, after ICS had been in the country for close on 10 years, it still wasn't widespread enough. There were still areas where the people weren't trained. And Nisla, unfortunately, didn't have the training. Um, so when it hit, 
the, the, municip the municipality and the fire services, which were very, very small, both of them were totally overwhelmed. Uh, they were trying to get information out. Um, there was an order to evacuate the entire town at one point, but there was no clear process. Once the order was given, they thought they'd done that. That's it. The order has been given, but they didn't understand that there was no, there was no way for that order to get down the line mm -hmm. out to the people. It kind of, there wasn't a plan. Um, so that, that role, the public information officer, whose role, whose responsibility is to make sure the information from the management team gets out to the public and you want to communicate as much as possible. You know, you need to communicate all the time what's happening, where are the risk areas, what is not at risk, what is fake. You know, if you hear that an area is burning and it isn't, immediately inform people that it isn't. Um, what we had is we had people evacuate from one area to another area where they thought they were going to be safer, but they evacuated from a near a, near a, a big lake, mm. um, up a mountain or up a hill through thick vegetation across the face of the fire down a one-way road to an area on the coast, which is on the only way out was a beach. So, you know, again, being on top of that information and having an understanding that this area is not under major threat, it's far safer to keep everyone in that area, let the fire burn through than it was to have everyone evacuate out of there down a one-way road in, into a town where again, they would have, they were then surrounded and trapped. Um, so it's that kind of thing where I think that that information role is, is so vitally important. It's for me, it's the incident commander, the public information officer and the safety officer, almost the three most crucial roles in an incident management team. Um, you know, communication, the, the knowledge these days is, is, is safety. It's, it's, it's so important to have the right information go out. Um, but it's a, it's a 24 hour job monitoring the fake news. Um, mm. and some of it's very good. Uh, and some of it is 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 meant, uh, you know, to to cause disruption, and some is just because people are panicking and don't understand the situation. Mm. Um, that gets misinterpreted and spread around, and yeah, so it has a has a huge impact. One of the parts of this campaign we're working with with this uh, municipality is to try and get that understanding of of the impact of fake news on people. It's kind of mm. like like a Chinese whispers where you by telling the people the, that information and having it broken down, the wrong information getting to people uh, is almost as dangerous as them having no information. Uh, I do mention, because I noticed that um, looking at, because I, I am the, the system I try to use um, to find truth, basically, or perspective truth, is to cross-reference cross everything that's being up. But... Yep that includes for me government information and information that are from well-known institutions and that are ought to be trusted but even in in these times i need to cross-reference that because a lot of information coming out there can't be trusted as well um yes. so um as a public information officer that must be a really interesting task to do um yes i think it's um very it's 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 very difficult i think you know the as a during an incident it's a it's a little easier uh, i think the incident when you're into an incident management team those people are normally seen as as you know experts and and, and doing their mm. job um when it gets into government and politics then there's a, there's always a, there's often agendas and, and no i mean i think globally governments have not got the, the respect that they used to have and it's very hard for a government voice to bring across information that can be fully trusted i think again yeah i, I do the same i cross-reference and check stuff um, you never know what agendas are being driven um, <clears throat> but uh, one of the one of the 
important points, also another role within within ICS is there's a, a role called the um, liaison officer, and mm. their role is to deal with the people like the mayors, the politicians, uh, keep them in the loop, but keep them out of the decision making or the incident management team. And I think, you know, again, that that's it's quite crucial that people understand that you can't have political agendas going on during an incident. You have to respond to the incident, sort it out, and then you can deal with politics. But unfortunately, often, and my criticism of a lot of, I think, of a lot of um, globally, the way this crisis, the COVID crisis is being um, run, is I, unfortunately, I get the feeling that it's run a lot by politicians, which mm. is quite astounds me because this is an incident. It should be run by disaster management and incident responders. Uh, in South Africa, we have um, a, a COVID command council and they are making decisions affecting everybody and they oversee the disaster management um, section of government. And I still I still cannot, I don't get my head around what, how they are the, the, the chief decision makers. It should yeah. be the disaster management feeding the information, keeping the politicians in the loop about what is going, what needs to be done. And yes, mm. of course, the political... Uh, impacts from decisions because it's so it's such a huge um, it is global and, and national but the the actual how to respond and what's the right things to do at the right time should be coming from the, the specialists and the guys who do this all the time mm. um, and I think that's the problem is that I can't I mean can you a wildfire or a, or a flood being run by by the by the politicians I and mean, it would be a disaster it's it's run by incident, incident managers it's run by responders who understand the systems, they understand the risks. Mm. Um, yet this crisis is kind of, it's fascinating. This crisis, which is a global crisis, seems to have jumped one level. It's gone out of the hands of all the people who have, I think, really the skills and mm. into the hands of the politicians who, no matter how good their intentions, there's always a, there's always at the back of their mind, I'm sure, is am I going to get reelected? You know, how is mm. this going to impact my career? So if that's, that for me is a very, very interesting part of, of, of this, of COVID and what's, what the impact has had on the world. Do you get, what are lessons that you are taking now currently from the situation that you might be implementing in your um, new training? Because I know that you are continue to develop your trainings. <clears throat> yes. And, and it's very much again around the, the role of the public information officer more than anything mm. else. I mean, I think uh, as far as ICS goes, um, it's it's what we want to evolve constantly is, is make our courses more engaging um, uh, so that people really enjoy the course. And it's it's not the sort of most sexy sounding course, you know, incident mm. management, but it, obviously it's, it's fascinating. And I think if you can apply the right um, uh, tools into the course, you can make it very engaging and very interesting and people then really get the system. But, um, for, for what's going on currently, I've been drawing a lot of and, and sort of bookmarking and saving and downloading a ton of stuff around communication and, and fake news fact and facts and how those two work together. And I think it'll, that's going to be brought into our future public information officer courses. And it'll allow us to take uh, real information and kind of bring it into the classroom a lot so that people can work on a, on a scenario Mm. but not making stuff up ourselves, drawing on real information. And some of the stuff, to be honest, that, I, that I've been um, able to uh, get access to is mind-blowing. I mean, it's you, wow. you couldn't make it up when you read some of the conspiracy theories that are going on that actually can have such an impact on people and actually lead to 
you know, incidents within incidents where people take actions on things that they think are happening but aren't. Um, and you throw that at a public information officer and an incident management team kind of thing during a course mm. um, where they think they're dealing with a flood and the next thing is they've got conspiracy theories coming at them and they have to be able to keep responders and public safe and deal with this. I think it makes for more and more interesting courses. Wow. Um, where can we find these courses? Because I think that a lot of my listeners and uh, uh, people that may, might be interested in getting into ICS, because there are, I think we've covered a few reasons why you absolutely should start using ICS as fast as possible. Yes. Where can they find them? Well, I think, you know, um, globally there's, there's service providers offering, offering them. Um, uh, obviously we, we offer courses in the very basic stuff, um, mm -hmm. but there's also the FEMA courses that you can go and uh, do. Um, and th those are free, but I, what I like about um, our course and, so, and other ones I've had to look at, they, we're trying to evolve it and, and bring it more in line with mm. sort of modern online training. Um, and, and therefore, obviously, there's, there's a fee involved with that. But uh, each country, I think, is, is developing stuff. And very much it's the independent service providers who are uh, pushing and driving the, the ICS training um, above maybe uh, some of the governments. Um, I don't think there's a lot of there's a lot of it around, and getting the quality um, courses is obviously very very important. Mm. Um, I, I, I've uh, basically I've been trying to get hold of uh, some of the documentation from the Australian system. I just want to see how they've evolved it compared to the Americans and compared to what we're doing out here. Uh, and again, it's an area that very, we almost came close to responding to Australia in December uh, and January oh. anyway. So having understanding the nuances of their system and ours it would be very important. That's really interesting. Um, so before I close off, um, I want to cover one thing more. And if I try to adapt it now currently as a new company, um, let's say I would hire you, where would we start? <laughs> um, so as, as a new company uh, I'm not quite following the question there so for yourself um, in the Netherlands mm -hmm. yeah uh, um, as in a company or incident command system as in incident command system where were we, where were we all right <clears throat> um, pulling me I just want to fully understand so pulling me into an incident or um, like uh, as I uh, as a company adoption, so I've found ICS now. I want to train with uh, with folk and right. training. Uh, where yeah. can we start learning with you? Right, right. No, following. Uh, well, you can you can go onto the online training platform mm -hmm. and uh, do a request uh, for training. There's a form you fill in, and uh, that would then uh, come to us. We would then enroll you in the course mm -hmm. and, and take you, and then you would go through the course. It's a it's a sort of, uh, it's not a course, it's a course you do in your own time, which I think is very mm -hmm. important or valuable because everyone has quite busy lives, especially responders. We work at different hours. So you're able to go through and on the back end, we can see where people are in the course and if they're struggling, we can assist them and we can offer to go and help. The, what, we, what I quite like in our course is the fact that we've got um, little uh, workbooks you can download and, and uh, work on and then send them back and those can get marked. Mm -hmm. um, and at the moment, the online training is only for the 100, 200. We still find that that higher level needs that engagement with people. But because of COVID and we don't know how long this is going to go on, 
Mm. We're looking to evolve uh, our courses in the higher level. We would, we would have a, a far more video lectures and an, an interactive situation going on with people. Uh, mm. It might even be putting people into an online course that would run over a period of days. And then you, could, you would log in, do your training, you'd have question and answers and everything would work online. And then you set up scenarios. And because of the technology we have these days, we quite easily run these, this type of training literally uh, around the world. You could have a team made up of people from all over different countries sitting in an online classroom and working mm. together as long as obviously the timelines collaborated. But uh, so I think there's a huge possibility for evolving that. And we're actually developing a wildland fire, uh, fire safety or fire line safety course at the moment. Um, we feel this is an area that's kind of really lacking. Um, mm. And the knowledge of wildfire is, is quite strong in South Africa, Australia and America and Canada. It's not as strong in, in Europe. Uh, obviously the Mediterranean countries have a history of wildfire, but we see it creeping north and we're thinking this is a way an area where people could definitely get some more knowledge on the, the lessons that we've learned, um, you know, on how to avoid the losses that we've had in, in these countries. Uh, so yeah, our, the online platform is the best way to go, we feel at this point. Okay, and I think that people can find uh, the company website and the training on www.vulcantraining.co.za. Uh, Instagram is, of course, uh, winstagram.com slash Vulcan Training. Also on Twitter and go to LinkedIn to find also uh, the courses and uh, company website from Vulcan Training. I do want to mention that indeed they have, again, a fire section. Where can we find that? So the, the fire line section we're actually working on at the moment. Uh, okay. This is a course that we are hoping will be up online in about a month, two months time. Mm. Um, we're trying to make it quite interactive. So I'm creating videos for the course. Um, we've taken the course that we evolved for the Western Cape government that we've been running for three years. And, and because of COVID, we, we suddenly realized that we're not going to be able to train all the people we normally train every year this year. Mm. So we're trying to get it up online before our fire season kicks off um, in the Western Cape so that the guys can go and do their required training. Um, and that's, we're going to make available again globally. And it's, as far as the, the term, the wildfire is relevant. I mean, the, the safety around wildfire is relevant globally. Um, mm -hmm. We've taken lessons from America. We've looked at what happens in Australia. And we've obviously taken our own experience and put this course together. And it's, uh, I think it's a really interesting course. And hopefully it's going to really um, have a good response when it goes out. All right. Um, then I think we got a, today a really good definition of what ICS is. Uh, a really good instruction and ICS. I would definitely go check out the courses at Vulcan Training. And I want to thank uh, Ryan, Patrick Ryan for the great information and supplied today for this podcast. And we'll be closing off. This was Robin for Secure Mindset with Patrick Ryan. Make sure that you think before you protect. And this was for Protection Rescue Lifestyle. See you next time. Robin for Secure Mindset, I'm out. Thank you, Patrick. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure, Robin. It's great talking to you.